from the land of the free and the home of the Chiefs. This is the Locked On Chiefs podcast. This is Locked On Chiefs, and it's another day in Chiefs Kingdom. We are going to go over who is here and who isn't going to be here for the defensive line group of the Kansas City Chiefs post this Super Bowl. I'm Ryan Tracy from RGR Football and Rogue Analytics. He is Chris Clark from Chiefs Digest. And we have the, the next segment of the big AFC West Ultimate Crossover Show coming for you, too, where we dig in deeper to another one of the Chiefs' adversaries. But for today, we're looking at the defensive line group, and, man, it's a long list. It is a long list. Uh, real quick, who's under contract, who's not going anywhere, in my opinion? Frank Clark, Alex Okafor, Breland Speaks, Tano Passanio, Derek Nadi, Saunders, uh, and then you have guys like Devereaux Lawrence, and Damone Harris, uh, Tim Ward, and Braxton Hoyt, who are all under contract. Oh, and Anthony Lanier as well, uh, who are all on the 90 man. So I think we're good there. Uh, but yeah. the real question is when you start getting into free agency, who is going to be back? Because you have five free agents, Terrell Suggs, Xavier Williams, Emmanuel Ogba, Chris Jones, and Mike Pinnell. Right. And real quick, I think the Chiefs and I am both a little excited to see what Ward can do, see if he's recovered. That's another Damone Harris-like speed type rusher that might be in the background coming up. Yep. They kept him on the non-football injury list for a reason. Right, exactly. Um, and that may come in handy because I, I just get the feeling that Suggs is done. Um, I, I think he, I think this was a gift that he got to, to win a Super Bowl after getting cut. Um, I just don't know that he has anything else in him. Well, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I can't expect it to be in Kansas City. Um, I just, I don't think that they're going to go spend more money on that position, uh, especially when you start looking at who they have. I mean, you know, Frank Clark and Alex Okafor are supposed to be your starters. Are you going to sit Okafor for Suggs? I wouldn't. Uh, is he a good rotational player? Yeah, maybe. But then who are you going to cut? Because to me, I don't think you get rid of Brilliant Speaks. You don't know what you have there yet. Uh, and you don't get rid of Tano Passanio, who I think looked a lot better this year. And like you said, Tim Ward's a question, and Damone Harris played very well, I thought, in spots as well. So yeah. I think Kansas City's probably pretty good at the end. I think you're probably right. I, I do question Speaks a little bit. I know that for a guy who was rehabbing, he got got some kind of off-field issue. I can't remember what it was, but I, it really made oh, Okay. It, it may come to cutting bait. I don't know. I, I think we'll find out about that like zero seconds before we find out about that. But I, I can't imagine they're going to cut him now. Yeah, at this point in his rookie contract, he's still cheap. <clears throat> if there's a chance for him to turn around like Passanio has, I think it's worth keeping him. Um, the big one for me, well, there's uh, there's obviously a big three. There's a lot of elephants in the room. Chris Jones is arguably the second best interior lineman in this league. And yes, I said second best because Aaron Donald still exists, folks. I hate to tell you. I wouldn't say it's arguable, but I know other people will try to argue that. (laughs) That's fine. Uh, But no, I agree with you. I I can't imagine a a team without Chris Jones, although I do think it's a possibility. Uh, It's just a question whether or not Kansas City feels like they can pay him long-term. He's going to want money similar to, to Frank Clark. If you do that, you can only afford to do so much elsewhere. So it's going to be a big question mark there. My one that I think is a big one, because we just don't know what they're going to do with Jones at this point. My one that's a big one is honestly Emmanuel Ogba. I thought he came on during the year. Uh, I would like to see him back on a one-year prove-it deal. But the problem with one-year prove-it deals is you're probably going to have to give him more than he's made. And I don't know that Kansas City can afford it. I'm not sure either, but I said it at the time of his injury. 
he just saved the Chiefs some money because I think that the performance he gave, they want him back. And because he didn't play a full season, because there's that, that question mark, right? I think they can get away with a lesser contract. It's going to be more than he made last year, which I think was 1.6. But hopefully it's not too bloated that they, they can't get it done. And right. I'll tell and you this. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it might be a question of if you want Ogba, you don't have Jones. I know they play different positions, but I, I just don't know. I mean, you, a lot of questions about the cap, and and we're going to know, we're going to find out about a lot of these questions coming up in the next couple of weeks. What moves are they going to make? Who are they going to release? That's going to be a big deal. I do think that there's a way that Mike Pinnell is back on this team next year, and I don't know that it'll be a long-term deal, but I think that they will bring him back. I'm glad you mentioned him because I was just about to as well. I think he's key because there's going to be – some question marks, uh, obviously with Jones and a little bit of linebackers. And this is still a team that the NFL feels that they have to run on in order to win. Mike Pinnell's a huge part of that run defense. And he was what, 805 against the cap this year at 29 years old. I have to feel like you're going to have to give him a pay raise. He just helped you win a Super Bowl. But I think he's going to be inexpensive comparatively that there's no way that you don't try to come come back. I mean, he made a third of what Xavier Williams made, and he outplayed him every snap of the year. I, I think he's imperative to get back. And he wants to be here because he was a Chiefs fan growing up, as as was Williams, but I think that Pennell is back on a on a one-year deal uh, maybe for maybe $2 million or maybe a million and a half. I don't know. We'll see. And that's what the defensive line group looks like right now. Those are the contracts. We'll talk about how they play and how they stack up later in the offseason. But when we get back, we're going to go into another AFC West crossover segment and find out what's going on with the other teams that think that they can try and compete with the Chiefs. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the ultimate division crossover with the AFC West. This is Daniel Wade with Locked On Chargers, and I'm joined by Ryan Tracy from Locked On Chiefs, by Cody Rourke of Locked On Broncos, and of course, your boy Q from Locked On Raiders here to talk about the Chargers today. This is the Chargers specific show where I get to get beat up on as the last place team in the AFC West, and I get to, to handle all the hard questions going forward for the Chargers. But we're going to start off as we have with the rest of the shows talking about the Chargers disappointing 2019 season and everything that went wrong because there is plenty to talk about there. But talking about the Chargers disappointing 5-11 and 11 season, Ryan, where are you starting here as far as the big questions you have about the Chargers? You know, from a Chiefs perspective, the prospect of playing the Chargers is always an interesting one because they match up well, because the Chargers have a tendency to give the Chiefs a hard time. I thought the game in Mexico in particular, I thought, was a great contest all the way around. But it does seem that there's this this run of Chargers kind of falling short. And I'm not sure. My question to you, is it injury-based? Do you have to look at the coaching staff? Where is this run of bad luck coming from? Well, you know, it's one of those answers, again, where you have to say it's all of the above. But at the same time, you want to see some accountability from the coaching staff. One thing your fan base not might not want to see after a 5-11 and 11 2019 is a contract extension for the head coach and really no heads rolling. I mean, you have the, the offensive line coach moving to Carolina on his own accord. I mean, it's not like they fired him. Basically, they've only brought guys in and shuffled them around as far as the coaching staff goes. But the injuries always play a part with the Chargers, and I think they do match up particularly well against the Chiefs. I mean, they send them to a lot of third downs. They limit the big plays. They make them earn it. 
to some sense. And they have, you know, a guy like Derwin James and Joey Bosa as far as guys that can make differences in those types of games and some weapons to try and keep up, even though they haven't been able to outside of the two-point conversion game in 2018. But I think injuries, I mean, having Derwin James missing most of the beginning of last season through the first 11 weeks before that, it was Joey Bosa. I mean, Hunter Henry's missed an entire season. So I think, I unfortunately, I know it's not the most popular answer, but it all plays a part. I mean, it's all part of the Chargers curse, as the <laughs> Chargers Twitter will tell you about. Whatever can go wrong seems to go wrong for this team. But I think the coaching staff particularly is something that hasn't got a lot of heat coming off of a 5-11 and season. Well, I think Anthony Land, there was talk a couple years ago, 2018, he was a coach of the year type candidate and what he's able to do with uh, that offense and being able to, they went through some changes. They changed offensive coordinators. There's a lot of different changes that approached them in 2019. One of the things too that I really want to applaud about the Los Angeles Chargers and, and also something in the same regard, I didn't really like how they handled it. We know Melvin Gordon hung, uh, he held out for the first port of the season and then all out of, you know, he came back. But during that time where he sat out, Austin Eckler was all over the place. I mean, he was setting the NFL world ablaze as a receiving back, as a rusher, and then all of a sudden Melvin Gordon comes back in, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're going to put Eckler back on the back burner a little bit. What were your thoughts on that approach? I know they still utilize two tailbacks once Gordon got back, but I felt as if they kind of short-sighted Eckler a little bit. What, what do you think the main reason of that was once Gordon returned? Well, I think in part of being a player's coach like Anthony Lynn is, you know, supposedly is, I mean, I guess he is. He seems to stick up for his players, even, you know, calling Rayshon Jenkins elite, believing in, and having faith in the right tackle position, even though we all saw the flaws. And every metric would tell you that when your right tackle gives up the most pressures in the NFL and he wasn't even starting the whole season, that maybe somebody else needs to be put in there and not rolling back the same thing. But with the Melvin Gordon situation specifically, it really killed me seeing them just force feed him as soon as he came back. I mean, this is a guy that held out and hurt your team through the first four weeks. And what happens once he comes back, the Chargers go four consecutive games of less than 40 rushing yards. It's been a long time since any NFL team has done that. So we're not even talking about just specifically Chargers woes here. I mean, they were historically bad running the football after they got their bell cow wanting a huge contract running back back in the fold. So I think that they show some loyalty to some players that, you know, their play might not necessarily need for them to be on the field that much. And that's what it seemed like with Melvin Gordon. It killed me because Austin Eckler has been one of the most productive running backs in the entire NFL. And he's such a weapon. Their offense just works better with him as the main guy. But with Melvin Gordon, he came back. They tried to force him back into it. And at this point, it seems like a marriage between the two of them is increasingly unlikely. They are better without him. And it's hard to think that there's any value in bringing him back. But that is hugely infuriating from the Chargers fan base and anyone watching. Just seeing Anthony Lynn have these commitments to these players, even a guy who holds out, for example, or for Denzel Perryman, he gets suspended for a game, gets sent home from Jacksonville back to Los Angeles, and the next week he's starting again. So I think with one thing with your head coach, you want accountability, and it's hard to preach that for the rest of their guys busting the ass on their roster when guys like this seem to be getting preferential treatment. Well, what does it feel like, or what? What? why does it always feel like that the Chargers are always – I don't want to say favored, but they're always expected. The expectations are always, okay, this is the year that the team is going to make the run. They got everybody back healthy. Here we go. This is going to be the Chargers. Watch out. You know, the AFC West is going to be in question. And then all of a sudden, one injury happens, another injury happens. 
Uh, Philip Rivers doesn't play so well. This guy's out. Melvin Gordon sits out for a while. And then all of a sudden it's like, what the hell happened to the season? You don't win any games in the division. It just seems like each and every year there's high expectations. And then all of a sudden the results are bad. Well, because I think when people look at the overall talent of the team, you can know there's talented pieces. I mean, pretty, you know, objectively speaking, I mean, you look at Derwin James and you know he's talented. You look at Joey Bosa and Hunter Henry and Austin Eckler and all of these guys. But I think part of the problem is, Q, is the depth. I mean, if you're talking about all these injuries, yes, you can make excuses about injuries all day long. But if you don't have guys that can come in and contribute when those guys go down, because, yes, the Chargers have had a lot of injuries, but they're really just more famous injuries. I mean, they're they're bigger players, bigger names getting injured for the Chargers, and the guys they have behind them are not going to be able to come in and produce for them. And that has gotten to them every single season. So I think a lot of it goes to the depth that you have at those positions, that one injury can derail you so much because if you have the guys and you're building a team as you should and the Chargers, one of the things they don't do well is building from the inside out. I mean, I don't remember the last time they put out a good offensive line on the field for an entire season when the philosophy is just, you know, getting, you know, really big time flashy names and having guys that can produce on the top end and the back end of the roster. Like you're seeing, I mean, so many undrafted free agents have to step into prominent roles for the Chargers this season. That becomes the big issue there. So for a team that's injured so much, you'd think they'd be more prepared for it than they seemingly are because every year it seems to catch them by surprise and, you know, somewhat totally derails their season. But as far as this last season, I think you just saw a regression to the mean as far as one score games. They did really good in 2019. And then this year it just falls off a cliff. I mean, a lot of that stuff can be somewhat fluky, but having Phillip Rivers at the end of games throwing interceptions is never going to win you ball games. So I think that's really what it comes down for the Chargers, at least in the 2019 season. But we do have a couple more segments. We're going to get into the biggest questions that the Chargers have. I mean, namely quarterback going into 2020 and the ultimate division crossover with the AFC West coming up right after this. All right, guys, so it's time to get in with the Chargers and what they're going to do going forward into 2020. We talked about the train wreck train wreck that was the 2019 season. But, hey, this is a, a really happy time for the Chargers where, you know, they can just picture every one of the changes that they need coming in and, and fixing the offensive line and bringing in a young quarterback and all those things before the Chargers can actually get on the field and disappoint them and, you know, have some of their favorite players go out or what have you. So, there's a lot of questions, Ryan. I, I, I know where you're going to start with because obviously there's bi- one big one. But what's the first question you have for me as far as the biggest questions for the Chargers in 2020? Well, just on a little side note, I, I do feel like it's a healthy thing to have competition between brothers. And I expect after the success that Nick had this year that Joey Bosa comes back and, and, and ups his game a little bit more. So I feel that's a positive for the Chargers. But but obviously the the question mark of, of who's going to be helming the offense for L.A., I still have trouble saying that, too. It's not just the understandable. Players. Everybody's throwing me off. But how? what do you feel is the best way for them to go about addressing their quarterback situation is it just the draft is it trying to do the free agent thing a little bit of both where where do you see them going well the the funny thing about that is is i mean free agency comes first so you're going to know if you have to necessarily draft a quarterback once march comes i mean if they go out and they sign you know andy dalton or if they just roll into it with tyrod taylor on his last year of his contract we'll know if the chargers are trying to you know attack that position early on in the draft but i think when you're looking at the formula for what's worked and what's around them you have drew lock potentially 
it with the Broncos, who's going to be on a rookie contract. You still have Patrick Mahomes, at least for one more season, getting paid on that rookie contract. So with the Chargers cast base that they have this year, you don't necessarily want to eat up $30 million of that with whatever Phillip Rivers is going to, to sign for, even though, I mean, from everything I've heard, guys, and there's been no, you know, specific reporting. Jay Glazer let something slip out of his mouth and then Philip Rivers is gone and the Chargers are getting rid of him without even telling him. None of those things have actually happened. They're technically keeping the lanes of communication open. But at the same time, it, everything that we've seen, it seems as if the writing is on the wall that Philip Rivers will either retire or move on to another team next season in a perfect world. Maybe you bring Phillip Rivers back for one more year. Maybe you groom a young quarterback like Justin Herbert at six. But I think for the Chargers, if you're sold on Justin Herbert or one of these guys as a franchise quarterback, you have to go all in on it and have the chance to build out the rest of your roster and to try to build a complete roster to compete with teams like the Kansas City Chiefs while your quarterback isn't getting paid very much. Because once that bloated contract comes in for the quarterback, it gets a lot more difficult. And I, I want to reference to Philip Rivers, you know, watching him, it reminded me a lot of Peyton Manning's final season, just the not mm-hmm. as mobile as we used to say. I mean, Philip Rivers used to be able to dip and duck underneath a pass rush and be able to throw downfield. There were times where he still had his moments in 2019. And obviously, if the writing is on the wall, if his time in L.A. is done, I know there was the report that came out that he had moved away from Los Angeles. He moved back home. Uh, and also the fact that he's got a lot of kids, too. Do you foresee, because I, I view the charge in my mock draft, I view them as taking Justin Herbert from Oregon. And this is a guy that I've watched a lot uh, as a guy who used to go to all the Oregon Ducks games, um, watching Justin Herbert, even in high school. I mean, this kid has this it fact to him, some swagger to him. I know there's a lot of questions about some of the teams he's played on. Maybe he doesn't have this leadership style, but a lot of that stuff's been denoted. And obviously at the Senior Bowl, he really impressed. I really do think that he could be a guy for the Los Angeles Chargers. He'd be a great fit, I think, for Anthony Lynn's style of scheme. He's one of the best guys, in my opinion, in this year's NFL draft that can throw on the run. Um, I do see him being a fit, but as you kind of mentioned, I mean, you mentioned the idea of a one-year possibility of Phillip Rivers. Could you see them maybe keeping him as a backup, and do you think that might be something that Phillip Rivers might be okay with? Um, and if not, you know, what do you what do you foresee for them going forward? Because I don't know if Tyrod Taylor is the guy for them at the quarterback position. He's definitely not, and I think that it really limits your ceiling as a team. And we had somebody call in and ask, you know, can the Chargers make the Super Bowl with Tyrod Taylor? And it's like, yes. I mean, Trent Dilfer made a Super Bowl. I mean, the remains of Peyton Manning made a Super Bowl. But at the same time, it's probably not going to happen. You're not going to get to the Super Bowl because of Tyrod Taylor. And that's something that at least potential-wise you could imagine getting from a young quarterback in this draft, namely Justin Herbert. And a lot of things with the Phillip Rivers conversation has to do with Anthony Lynn and what Anthony Lynn was expecting when he signed on for this job. Was he expecting to be stuck with Phillip Rivers for the entirety of his contract? Or were there some conversations about you can bring in a guy that you want to work with, a guy who's more mobile, who can run more of that read option, run pass option offense with, and he's not going to be stationary because Philip Rivers, for all the people complaining about it, has always been stationary. I mean, he was able to get around a little bit and move around in the pocket, and you didn't see him just eating sacks like he did this season where he just basically took it and gave up on the play. I mean, it happened against the Broncos a couple of times, but there is no scenario in this world that I see Philip Rivers coming back to the Chargers to sit on the bench. I mean, at the end of the season, in his exit presser, you hear him say, uh, right now, I want to play football next season. He didn't say he wanted to play with the Chargers, but he did say he wanted to play. And I just don't see him coming back really necessarily at all at this point, but I definitely not in that capacity. 
if this is the end of the road for Phillip Rivers and the Chargers, which it looks like it is, I mean, again, last year, he looked like a shell of himself. It looked like he didn't have the arm strength that he normally had. I mean, just a lot of things look bad when it comes to Phillip Rivers. So if the Chargers were to move on from him, I wouldn't blame him. But if this is the end of the road, how would you summarize the Phillip Rivers era? That's a great question. I mean, with anything, you know, over 16 seasons, it's hard to kind of encapsulate that as any, you know, one thing as far as what his reputation is. But I mean, I know league wide, what's the reputation of Philip Rivers? I mean, he couldn't win the big one. You know, he's a great quarterback and he couldn't take his team through the playoffs, put the team on his back and carry them to a Super Bowl championship or even be the reason that they make a deep playoff run. And, you know, it's kind of like Dan Marino in some ways, as far as he got pretty close when he first took over for the Chargers. You have 2006, the Marlon McCree game where Marlon McCree fumbles the ball after the interception of Tom Brady. And I mean, the rest is history there. And you just expect them to keep on going with that, with Phillip Rivers and LT and Antonio Gates at the time. But that just never really happened. So I think he goes down as the best Chargers quarterback of all time. I mean, if you look at him, what he's been able to do in franchise history, I mean, he leads all of those categories by by a decent margin. I mean, Dan Fouts was great, but Phillip Rivers has been the best quarterback that the Chargers have ever had. And if you're the Chargers fans or anyone else, I mean, you love the passion that he played with. And I think that's a big question going forward with Phillip Rivers not coming back potentially to the Chargers. How many of those San Diego fans stay through? Because for them, Phillip Rivers is their guy. He's the only quarterback most of them at least have really ever watched as far as the last decade and a half play quarterback for the Chargers. So I think at the end of the day, he's going to be known for the guy as the guy who couldn't get a ring. But for the Chargers specifically, I think he goes down as the best quarterback of all time who underachieved in the postseason. And I think his legacy, I mean, with the trash talking, the no cursing, his playoff record and all those things rolled into it, he has a pretty complex legacy in it. But I still think he goes down as the best Chargers quarterback of all time and, you know, definitely is going to be considered on the Hall of Fame ballot when he decides to hang it up. Whether he's a Hall of Famer or not, we will see about that. It's definitely a discussion to be had there, but he is in the conversation and I think he's still the best quarterback in Chargers history. But we do have one more segment to get into in the AFC West Ultimate Division crossover coming up right after this. All right, guys, getting into the last segment of the show today in the ultimate AFC West division crossover with Ryan Tracy from Locked On Chiefs, Cody Rourke of Locked On Broncos, and your boy Q from Locked On Raiders. And now it's time to talk about how the Chargers are going to stack up going into this season in the AFC West, going up against the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, going up against a up-and-coming Denver Broncos team who think they might have found their quarterback and the Las Vegas Raiders in their first year in Las Vegas. And it's going to be the Chargers' first year in SoFi Stadium. But as far as the Chargers go and where they end up in the division this year, Brian, with all of the you know big questions of the Chargers going into this season and how they stack up, what kind of questions do you have? You know, most of Chiefs' kingdom wants to know what's going to happen with the quarterback first and foremost. But secondarily, the next thing is, what's up with the running backs? Should they expect to have to prepare for a passing-only attack with a rookie? Or do you think that one of these running backs that have been so productive ends up back with the Chargers and is somebody that they have to prepare for all over again? Well, I think for, I mean, Austin Eckler is a restricted free agent. It's hard for me to believe that anybody is going to be able to pry him away from them. 
I wouldn't be surprised to see a pretty high tender coming up for Austin Eckler. So Austin Eckler is coming back. Justin Jackson is another guy who's still locked up. But Melvin Gordon is the unrestricted free agent. I, I don't see a scenario in which Melvin Gordon comes back to the Chargers. I don't see a way that it's valuable for them to bring him back at this point, especially with the money he might want to get. But as far as Austin Eckler goes, I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see. I think he takes a more focal point role in this offense. And for the Chargers specifically going up against the Chiefs, you're losing that bruiser guy, that physical runner in Melvin Gordon, even though he only did that sometimes. He's the guy that you want to go and try to, you know, churn yards out the end of games, the guy who can get going in the fourth quarter and try to play that time possession game plan that we've seen teams try to roll out against the Chiefs. But at this point, Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson almost 100% are coming back. I think there's about a 10% chance at this point from everything I've heard that Melvin Gordon comes back. I think the the distance between these two teams is going to be too vast, and I think it's going to be those other two guys plus somebody they could bring in through free agency or through the draft to man that position. Well, and just to follow up real quickly, I know a lot of the expectation, not just in the Chiefs fan base, but around the league, is that Eckler's so in demand, it's going to take a really high tender. So my question to you is, do you feel that it's going to be uh, what kind of tender do you expect this organization to put on him in order to try to retain him? I mean, I don't think a first-round tender is off the table. I think it'll probably be a second-round tender, and I think if in a vacuum, if you're getting a second-round pick for Austin Eckler, a guy that you signed through undrafted free agency, that comes as a win. But knowing how much he's meant to this offense, that would be absolutely brutal for the Chargers to lose Austin Eckler. Every game that the Chargers succeeded offensively and had an above-average game, Austin Eckler is right there in the middle of it. They started experimenting more with him just as their third wide receiver because they had no option as a third wide receiver spot for the Chargers this year. I mean, Travis Benjamin gets hurt. They tried a bunch of guys in there. None of them worked. He is so important to this offense. I think they're going to do whatever it takes. I would like to see the offer sheet that they would not sign on Austin Eckler. I think it's going to be a lot, but at the end of the day, I think it's at least a second round tender on Austin Eckler. I think they're going to try to make it as hard as possible for somebody to try to pry him away because he is that important. I, I like the idea of the offense to Eckler. He's a very talented guy, Western Colorado. Gunnison, uh, obviously, uh, you know, a small town here in Colorado. For some reason, running backs are where the number 30, Philip Lindsay and, uh, you know, Austin Eckler, those guys are guys <laughs> that have pillared the running back position a little bit. Uh, my question comes from the defensive side of the ball. You know me, I'm a defensive guy. I like to talk that. Uh, more than likely, we know that Thomas Davis might, is likely to retire. Uh, we saw that the defense for the Chargers actually saw a little bit of a boost once Derwin James and Adrian Phillips came back into the starting lineup after dealing with some injuries. What do you foresee for the secondary? I think that's a big uh, question mark for me. I look at Casey Hayward as a cornerback. Uh, who else can emerge at the cornerback position, and do you think that uh, they're going to go with a more of a rotation between Derwin James and Adrian Phillips, or are they going to switch things up a little bit? And where does Desmond King fit into that role? So right now, I mean, as it stands now, you have Michael Davis on the outside opposite of Casey Hayward. And in that situation, Michael Davis is the weak link. And that's the biggest question mark for this Chargers team. Adrian Phillips is a free agent. He is really big for this Chargers team, especially in dime packages. He's the dime linebacker that comes in and has really excelled in coverage. I don't think he's really cut out to be a full-time strong safety in the box. I mean, Derwin James is better built for that role. So I think that they would keep Adrian Phillips as a linebacker slash hybrid 
combo, especially for third and long situations, especially for third and long situations and types of that scenario. But I think the biggest question is how they address the opposite of Casey Hayward corner position. Are they going to do it through the draft? There's a couple guys in free agency that could make a difference. And I don't know if they're going to be willing to spend top dollar on it. But I also know if they don't get somebody at the top of this draft, that the options start falling off pretty quickly. So it's going to be a, a huge question mark as far as who they put opposite of Casey Hayward. Because if, if this is a down year of Casey Hayward, you will take that. Because the other teams consistently picked on the other side, whether it was Michael Davis or Brandon Faison, whoever they had over there, it was never working out for that cornerback and teams repeatedly on third down would target that position. So I think the Chargers, one of their top needs going into this offseason is going to be to address that opposite position, bring back Adrian Phillips and use him in whatever role you can. Because I mean, even as a special teamer, he's an ace. You have Derwin James and then we'll see what happens with Nazir Adderley, because that's the biggest question with this group is what are you going to get out of Nazir Adderley? Rayshon Jenkins is not the answer. As you can see, I mean, <laughs> I think if Rayshon Jenkins had a big missed tackle. It's probably against all three of your guys' teams this year. I mean, especially that Corlin Sutton one hurt a lot from Rayshon Jenkins. So I don't think he's part of the future. It's going to be who are they going to replace at that opposite cornerback position and who is going to be the free safety long term. And they're hoping it can be second round pick Nazir Adderley. Justin Herbert is a guy that, uh, you know, has been mocked to, to the uh, Chargers multiple times. If he is the guy, if he is the guy that the Chargers decide to go ahead and move on with and, and let Phillip Rivers walk down the road or whatever, what are the expectations? What do you see from him? How does he fit in with the Chargers, with the weapons that they have on the team right now? How does he succeed in L.A. if he is the guy? Well, that's a great question, Q, because I think as far as the weapons go, the Chargers have plenty of weapons. Hunter Henry is going to be another highly coveted free agent, and I know they are trying to work that deal out as quickly as possible, and they've even thrown out the option of potentially transition tagging Hunter Henry as well to try to make sure he does come back for them because he is an important weapon, and it's hard to find productive tight ends, as we all know, in the league, even though there's a bunch of them in the AFC West, but I think he fits in nicely with what the Chargers have. I mean, you have a lot of speed at the running back position. You need to add a lot of speed at the wide receiver position at that third wide receiver spot. But the main question for me is, Q, do you have an offensive line that is going to keep whatever quarterback is back there off of his back? Because you need to have a good offensive line if you're going to throw a rookie quarterback out there. And how many quarterbacks, young quarterbacks specifically, have we seen get put behind a bad offensive line in a bad situation and they get scarred and they're never, you know, can never turn into what they thought they might be. So as far as having an athletic guy, which we saw late in Justin Herbert's career at Oregon, where, you know, he scores three touchdowns on the, on the ground in the Rose bowl. And now you're wondering about the arm, even though we all know he has a cannon arm, is he going to be able to, you know, roll out, take snaps under center and make accurate passes over and over again. I watched the piece that Rogue analytics did on his, you know, every interception, that he threw this year. And I thought that there was some, you know, definitely concerning ones in there as far as him making reads. And there's also some concerns about him in a leadership role, which going into a new stadium in 2020 is going to be a big deal. You need a guy who's going to come out there and kind of grab the city of LA. But I just don't think he's that kind of splashy guy. I don't think he's that in your face. He's not Baker Mayfield. He's not going to be the guy with the mouth that does it for you and brings fans that way. So I think the skill set makes a lot of sense. If you look at the guys that Anthony Lynn has brought in, Tyrod Taylor, 
He brought in Cardale Jones. I mean, he wants a mobile athletic quarterback, a guy you can start rollouts and have some more option, more movement in the offense. And you weren't going to get that with Phil Rivers. The fit makes sense. But for me, the biggest question is, are you going to have an offensive line that is going to be able to protect a young quarterback? Or are you going to take somebody with the sixth overall pick, ruin him with a bad offensive line, get him absolutely murdered next season, and then you'll never know what you could have had. So that's kind of where I am with that because it's it, that's the biggest question right now. And we talked with Jordan Reed of the Draft Network, and he seemed pretty sold on Justin Herbert at six. Chargers fans will disagree with you for the most part. They're not happy about that pick. But as far as his skill set goes, I definitely think it could be a fit as far as what they want to do offensively with Shane Sykin and with Anthony Lynn. But that is going to wrap things up for today's part of this AFC West Ultimate Division crossover. Special thanks to Locked On Chiefs and Ryan Tracy, Cody Rourke with Locked On Broncos, and as well as well as your boy Q from Locked On Raiders. We have one more show for you guys. It's the Valentine's Day show talking about all four of the teams in this division and talk about some players that we love because it is Valentine's Day. But make sure to check it out tomorrow because the best NFL knowledge and expertise is always coming from the Locked On NFL Network, and we'll talk to you on tomorrow's show. That's it for today's portion of the Ultimate AFC West crossover. We'll have tons more for you tomorrow, going over every team in this division with a wrap-up on Friday that will culminate in all of it coming together. Thanks for listening today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Ryan Tracy is the founder of Rogue Analytics and the host of RGR Football on YouTube. Follow him there. Chris Clark is a senior analyst at ChiefsDigest.com where you can get his work. Rate and review at Apple Podcasts and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you for listening.